All right. Well, I hope you've done some walking this week. Maybe you've walked off a little bit of your Thanksgiving meals. Maybe you've done some hiking. Anyone enjoy hiking? Who enjoys hiking? We need to do a, just a, a hike. Just say, here's where we're going to hike, and you join. And if you can get there, you can get there. If you can't, then hike where you are. Hiking is so good, but we will probably not ever hike to this extent. What is this? This is Mount Everest. One of the tallest, if not the tallest, and I guess it grows a quarter of an inch a year somehow, uh, mountain peak in the world. You would have to save up quite a bit to take the two, three months off to climb this. Forty to $100,000 is what it will run you uh, to put that in your budget uh, for this exciting, exciting task. To date, less than 6,000 different people have climbed to the top as far as since they've been making records of this. 300 people have died. So you have a 5% uh, ratio of living to dead as far as climbing Mount Everest. This is dangerous. They say there's up to like 17 or so routes to the top, pathways to the top, and usually they only take two. There's two primary ones. And I guess the others are part of those 300. They found out the hard way that that's not the way to get up. And so you have these well-known paths of uh, tour guides that take people up this way. And you see that even with mountain climbers, uh, even in Central Park, there's that little spot where people climb that little little bit of a mountain uh, in Central Park. And you can always see the handholds that are good because they're well marked by chalk. People with chalk in their hands and feet show this is where you can walk, this is where you can grab a hold of. Showing us where to go. Uh, with Everest, you see the bad examples of where not to go because of the skeletons there. They are still there in the snow. They'll learn the hard way. And I think this is what Paul's doing for us here in 1 Corinthians 10. Instead of looking in the snow, we're looking at the desert and we're finding skeletons in pathways that we should not walk as believers, as people in God's faith community. That is not the way to go. That is not the way to go. And so these Old Testament examples are for our learning to learn the pitfalls of uh, actions that we should not carry out, okay? So you don't want to end up dead this year? Let's learn from this example. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. So he's like, listen to this. This is where I want you to listen up, verse 1. Uh, one of the primary examples he gives is that the example of grumbling, right, or gratitude. And so that's, where, of course, why we're in this passage today. And I think it would be very helpful for us uh, these examples all the way back in, in Moses' day. So, uh, we'll start off with the, actually, the, the first section here gives pitfalls on the Old Testament pathway. And, and really, these four verses set them up for not falling. And we're like, why would they fall? And then these verses show the pitfalls they took and why we shouldn't take them. And then the last few verses are just principles to help us not go down that same pathway. Okay, so let's jump in here first of all to pitfalls in the Old Testament pathway. Uh, verses 1 through 4, we find this motivation for staying on the right path. They really had no excuse. 
as you and I have no excuse. And so there's this five-fold repeated all. They all did this. They all did this. They all had this. They all had this. And there was no reason that they had to go off the right pathway. So I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that all our fathers had this. And so he gives us, we're going to summarize the five into three main ideas of what they had. They all experienced, first of all, miraculous deliverance. They all experienced miraculous deliverance. And he says there, verse 2, the end of verse 1 and verse 2, they all were under the cloud, they all passed through the sea, and they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So that's one main idea of deliverance. So what is he talking about there when he mentions the cloud? It's not Microsoft Cloud, right? What is he talking about? The pillar, yeah. The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud by day and by night. That was their direction, this miraculous direction from God. Sometimes you kind of wish, wow, I wish the cloud would just say, Tim, uh, do this, Tim, do that. Well, he does in his word. But there was this manifest presence of God that was really an amazing blessing. They all had that cloud. They all had not just the cloud. Um, they passed through the sea. What is that referring to? Passing through the, the Red Sea, right? Uh, and coming up the other side. And, and so they're walking through the pathway. Pastor Andrew just walked us through this together. And, and they're walking through and there's water on our right. There's water on their left. There's the cloud above. So it's almost like they're underwater as they go through. And so this is, a, in one sense, a picture of what we could... Uh, say as baptism. They passed through the sea. God delivered them. They came to the place where they could not move forward and God made a way with this miraculous deliverance. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. Uh, this isn't referring to Christian baptism. Uh, this would be the idea of identifying with Moses. Uh, that is what that baptism means. It's like I am following Jesus. I'm being baptized into his name and I'm following him. Right? We celebrated that last week with a few ladies. Now he's saying they, or back then, they, they followed Moses. Moses was their leader and they went out of Egypt and they followed, they identified with this leader, Moses, as he followed Yahweh. They were all on board there. But it didn't stop with that, did it? It continued on. And, and they all had the miraculous diet. They experienced the miraculous diet. They all ate the same spiritual food. What was the food that they ate? Manna. Manna. What is this? Manna. And, and it is debated that that was Chick-fil-A, but I don't know. No, that is very debated. Um, it was not Chick-fil-A, though God did give them quail. So they did have some bird. Uh, but mostly it was this little coriander seed type thing, this little interesting diet, and it fed them, it sustained them all along the way. Every day they had a reminder of God's provision. Every day. Every day they woke up and saw that His mercies are new again this morning. I have my daily bread. In other sense, you and I have that as well. Uh, and we'll get to this as we, we pray through the Lord's Prayer. And if whenever we get there in the, in the Lord's uh, Sermon on the Mount. But we feel the same way. This provision. I'm not promised a healthy retirement. I'm not promised tomorrow's bread. I'm promised today's bread. And, and this is what Jesus provides. He provides us 
covering and food. Uh, and so this is what they had each day. And then they experience, and this is fascinating, the, the miraculous drink, right? So they have this, this, this amazing deliverance, but then daily the miraculous diet and then this miraculous drink is a little deeper. And let's just dive into this a little bit. Uh, verse 4, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now we're handling 13 verses, so we will handle this again someday, and we'll take our time with it. But, but uh, in order to get through it all, I just need to take a, just a minute with this, okay? And if you're taking notes, I would write down a few references as cross-reference, because this is such a beautiful thought that Paul is teaching us. Moses strikes a rock at the beginning of the wilderness wanderings and water comes out. Moses strikes a rock toward the end in disobedience and water comes out. And so this is the first reference. Uh, This alludes to that. But it's deeper than that, isn't it? Actually, in in the Talmud, the, the oral tradition of the Jewish writings... They believed that there was a rock that they took with them in the wilderness uh, from encampment to encampment, and they laid it down by the tent of meeting, and it actually continued to water them. Now, that is total tradition. We don't know whether that's true or not. I I kind of doubt it was true, because they ended up complaining about water later. Um, But anyway, Paul is probably alluding to that, but he's making a definite truth. Because what does he say at the end there? He's not saying this was a rock that kept watering their physical needs. He says what? The rock was Christ. The follower with the children of Israel. The real sustaining power was that the pillar showed Jehovah. The real sustaining power was that Christ was in their camp. The very presence of God was there. Christ was there with them. And I'd like us to turn over, if we could, to Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 23. Turn over to Exodus 23, and as you go over there, I'll quote another passage that I really love along this lines uh, from the Psalms, Psalm 81.16. God says, but I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I will satisfy you. With honey from the rock. I will satisfy you. Beautiful passage that that really teaches us what God can do. Not only can he take a a cliff and make a water to feed two million people, but but he can make a rock give to you the the sweetest uh, tasting thing that you could ever have. And it's talking about the spiritual significance of the Lord's provision. The Lord provides you with himself. And if you have him in the wilderness... You're satisfied with Him, with Christ. And so we look back here at Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, and we find that this is actually what happened, that Christ was the one that was following them. God says, uh, Exodus 23, 20, Behold, I am going to send an angel before you, this is right toward the beginning, to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, since my name is in him. Fascinating. Jehovah says the angel, the messenger, 
what we would say several times in the Bible is called the angel of the Lord. And you know, we won't take the time to go there. If you look up every reference to the angel of the Lord in the Bible, several times as he's saying the angel of the Lord, it is synonymous with Yahweh himself. That, that the angel of the Lord is Yahweh. It, and he appears to them. And so we find the angel of the Lord providing as Yahweh, talking to Moses as the Lord, as the capital L-O-R-D, talking with Moses. And so we know this to be a pre-incarnate, what we call a pre-incarnate, meaning before Jesus, before Jesus became a baby, he actually appeared and he walked with them. I believe he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's what, when you thought here, they're waiting for, for God to walk with them in the garden every day. This is Jesus. Um, and we find him here now. And, and this is what's very significant here. Um, my name is in him. How significant is that? The name of God. The sum being of all his character. It's not just saying he will be called Yahweh. That is Yahweh himself. This, the angel of the Lord. It's not always the case. Often this messenger is just a messenger as a, as a messenger like an angel. But often this angel of the Lord is Jesus himself as the messenger of God. Uh, the Trinity uh, coming and speaking. And he is actually walking with them. And, and this is another part of this that's so significant. What does the angel of the Lord do for them? in response to their repentance and faith in His name. He forgives their sins. He forgives their sins. This angel of the Lord who has the name of Yahweh in him is able to forgive them of their sins. That's the honey from the rock. That this one can forgive sins. That He would be with them and if they follow in faith and obedience to Him, in the name of the Lord, He will forgive them of their sins. And if they don't, He will not forgive them of their sins. An amazing lesson to find that this is, uh, this is Jesus. And Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. He was in their midst. He is the honey. He is the sweetest part of all of our lives. That we would have a relationship with our God. That God would come and live with us. That even now He's in this room with us. And allowing us to worship Him, to sing to Him, to hear from His Word. And so all of them had that. All of them, yes, they had the H2O, but he says it was more significant and it was Christ. Christ followed them step by step. They all, they all, they all, they all, they all. It's setting us up for a smack in the face. Look at verse 5. Most, they all experienced all of this, all of the spiritual blessings they saw every day, God's provision. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. And so we find verses 5 and 6 are lessons here that, that we just, we need to listen uh, because we can follow the same bad example. We can, like we saw last Sunday, crave evil things, verse 6, as they also craved. We all have these desires, uh, natural desires, and, and they, they push us to follow the desires instead of following God's way. 
Um, and so this is what they did. They, they show us that, that they warn us that we may follow the same pattern. Um, we need to listen and follow God and listen to Christ and not the way that Israel did following their own desires. They followed Moses out of Egypt, but they failed to follow Christ by faith, uh, not seeing the hand of God in his daily provision. And you and I can do the same. Here we are in church. We're all professors of uh, Christ. But not all who profess Christ have Christ. Not everyone has a change from the inside out. And so some of us also may be craving evil things as they craved. So let's look at some of the bad examples of failure here. Verses 7 through 10. There's four of them, and we'll just jump quickly through the first two. Uh, there's, first of all, immorality. Right? The bad example of failure. Uh, the first one example is uh, verse 7, idolatry. Idolatry. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Don't be an idolater. Don't bow down to something other than the God of the Bible. Right? There's all these temptations to... To feel that this is worth more than God, and that is worth more than God, and I need to bow down to this and that. Say, don't do that. Don't place value on other things than on God. The specific reference in the Torah would be to Moses receiving the tablets on, the, on Mount Sinai. Amazing experience in Israel's history. What's happening at the base of the mountain? Adultery. adultery idolatry. Adultery. The, it is a worship service where they're worshiping Yahweh who delivered them from Egypt, and they're making a calf. There's this synchronization of worship of Yahweh with what they saw in Egypt. And that's what we're going to find over and over there. They're, they're combining the two. And so they're, they're worshiping an idol in the name of Yahweh, and it's, there's no mixing, right? There is no synchronization of Christianity for, with the things of the world. And it ends up being what that says rose up to play. This would be referring to immorality. Uh, it's, it's most likely turned into a, something like an orgy is what it's describing in its connotations. As they feast uh, and drink to where they have no inhibitions. And this is what's happening at the base in this worship service of this false god. Now Paul's doing this for a purpose. And I, I, I would take more time with this, and when we preach through Corinthians, we will. But there, there was the same thing going on in the church of Corinth. And that's why this comes up in the book of Corinthians. Because there was in, this is the same thing in Corinth. Same thing in Exodus, same thing in Egypt, same thing in Corinth, same thing in Queens. Right? We don't change. People don't change. In Corinth, though, there was such a presence of idolatry... Mixed with immorality. Everywhere you went, uh, the, there were temple prostitutes, temples, so the immorality was intermixed with it, and even the eating, the feasting, was intermixed. And so Paul's having to deal with them, saying, listen, those of you who are eating, you may get a good steak, and it may be cheaper there in the temple. That's what they're dealing with. But that was probably sacrificed to an idol. And Paul's like, listen, we don't believe in idols. There's no such thing as idols. They're not gods. But that's demonic. 
So we need to distance ourselves from that. And so this is what they're dealing with, this synchronization, because some of them had gotten saved, but they still wanted to keep some of the idolatrous, immoral practices of their old life. And so Paul is dealing with it, saying, that was just the way it was in Exodus, and some of you are going to be tempted like they are to live in immorality, to live in idolatry. And to be honest, it's the same in Queens. There will be a temptation to live, to mix, to synchronize Bible, what you learned from your Bible, from what you believed before the Bible. Or to synchronize your new creation life with your old person life. And so he says, no, 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 that will, lead, that will lead to death. That will lead to death. Example two is just a kind of, a, these are brother and sister here. He gets more specific with the immorality, but it's a second, diff, a second scenario. Example two is immorality, verse eight, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Referring to Numbers 25 as they committed immorality and idolatry with Moabites, a plague that God sent, killed 23,000 in one day, and probably others passed away where it was 24,000, as Paul is referring to here. And so he's saying, idolatry, immorality, trying to live that way as a professing Christian will not work. They are exclusive. One cannot be with the other. That leads to destruction. All right. Example three, you might not expect. Example three and four. Just like when two are brother and sister, three and four are brother and sister, and they are really the the theme for our week. Immorality, idolatry, complaining, and grumbling. He puts those, those are four fingers on the same fist. They're right there together. And, And sometimes we use this as an excusable sin, but it's not. It leads to death just like immorality and idolatry. Example three is tempting and complaining. Verse nine, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. This trying was testing God by complaining. You read it in Numbers 21, the whole chapter there. Um, they're complaining about, uh, about not having food. And God sends fiery serpents among them and they bite the people. And again, as they, as they responded in faith by the provision of God, God, God healed them. But he is, he is punishing them for their complaining. For complaining about the lack, and there it is, the appetite. Their appetite. They did not have the leeks and the onions of Egypt. Oh, why do we have to keep eating this manna? And that is, it's very similar to idolatry. It's like, I am not happy with what God has given me in his sovereign control of my life. I want that. I want back in Egypt. I want the onions. I don't know why they would want onions. I want the onions. I understand. They wanted the flavor. They wanted the change. Not recognizing, acknowledging, and thanking God for what we have, and instead wanting another experience, another food, another person, another God. You can see why these are all bedfellows. At the heart, all of that is discontentment, thanklessness, and not being satisfied with God. And so the fourth one just expounds on it. They were grumbling. Uh, Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Grumbling and complaining leads to death. 
Just like immorality and idolatry leads to death. Korah wanted to take Moses' place in number 16. Assembles a group against him, 300 people, and what does God do? Opens up the earth and swallows them. What an amazing thing to see. God's wrath against those who rose up against Moses. What did the people do? They didn't fear. Numbers 16, the end of the chapter, they complain. You killed Korah. And it happens again. They're complaining. They're grumbling again about Moses and Aaron. And God sends another plague. Kills 14,700. The destroyer does this. God wants to hear our prayer. God wants to hear our cries for help. A heart of sadness, even desperation, God loves to hear as we rest and thank Him. But as soon as that turns into rebellion and shaking a fist at God, immediately it turns to disobedience, lack of faith, and what will lead to destruction. Why haven't you given me this food? Why haven't you given me this relationship? Why haven't you given me this experience? It's all the heart of unbelief. It's a heart of rebellion and resistance to God's will. And that heart needs to be changed into submission to God's will. So this Thanksgiving, it's so important to see that this ingratitude is not the heart of a Christian. It's really common right now. But it's not a Christian heart. So let's follow his principles for avoiding these pitfalls of the past. We find three principles. Jump through them real quick here. And they help us. I don't want to make that same pitfall. Well, how can I? Here's three principles to jump into. First of all, know their end. Verse 11, now all these things happen to them as an example for us. They're written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The end of the ages, we have the, instru- the full instruction of God's gospel. Right? We know the, the Christ is the rock that is the honey of life. We, we have no excuse. We are the all now. We are the highest of the all, meaning we have more to see than anyone has to this point. There is no pathway of complaining and griping and discontentment for us. It will end in death. We recognize, we look at them. We, we are, we've come to this point and we can look back at a whole list of church history and of Israel's history of people that have complained and realize that in each case it ends to death. God hates the unbelieving, unthankful heart. And it's bad for you. It is bad for me to have that. Only seeing that the glass is half empty. Or that it's empty, but you have a glass. Right? Or that it's gone and you can see. Right? There, there, there's always something to be thankful for. But if we, and there's always something to complain about. There is always something to complain about. Only focusing on not having the leeks and the garlic cause you not to see the manna every day. Complaining that the water is not flowing makes you not think that the rock that is Christ is following you every day. And so Paul said, I know how to do all things 
Right? We love that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is he talking about? I know how to live in poverty and I know how to live in prosperity. I'm okay with all of that because I have Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what would we be complaining about this week? Jump it into your head. What do you have to complain about? Do you really need that? Or do you need Christ? Uh, The person who's complaining always about what they don't have. Now, I'm not saying don't pray about it. Even with broken heart. But saying, Lord, I trust you. And I bring it before you. That, that, that is the heart of a Christian. A heart of rebellion is the heart of a non-Christian. Secondly, the second part of death is physical death. It's not just spiritual death. A, a, a litmus test of a born-again heart, but it also is physical death. Right? If you, if you follow this your whole life, always focusing on the negative, it just hurts you physically. It's just ne- it's bad for you. Just as a friend, right? Always dwelling on the negative news, right? If you take an hour of news a day, you are going to need two hours in the Word to counteract that. Because they, al- they will always find bad news. This week, if nothing bad happens on the earth, and somewhere in New Zealand, a seven-year-old child loses their parakeet, you know what's going to be on the news all week. It will. They will find it and they will exploit that poor girl and show her tears till you're ready to cry. The bad news is what sells. Maybe a million kids got a new parakeet. They will find the one that lost it. That's what happens. And if you just focus on all the bad that's happening in the world, you will, it will break you. It really will break your spirit. And you will forget, I'm walking with Christ. I don't need a parakeet. I don't need anything. I have Christ. And it really makes us focus on all the negative stuff that we don't need to be caught up with. And we become Corinthians. We become Israelites rather than Christians. practical level, this is dangerous. Complaining is dangerous for you spiritually, but it's also just dangerous for you emotionally. Verse 12, not just know the danger here, but know your weakness. Verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I'll just say this. If you say, I have no problem with this, then be careful. You say, I don't struggle with immorality. I don't struggle with idolatry. I don't struggle with ingratitude. You are ready to fall. Verse 12 says, no, all of us are born tempted to idolatry, tempted to immorality, tempted to ungratefulness. All of us are born selfish. We come out saying, me, me, give me, give me, mine, mine. That's the physical birth. The spiritual birth is what's new. And so like the skater that's recognized, I'm getting good at this. It's immediately when they end up on their backside. Right, the Christian that says, "Oh, I'm getting good at this. I'm thankful. I, you know, I'm I'm really pure in every area of my life." You're ready to fall. This message is for all of us. You're setting yourself up for a fall if you think that you have this beat. And let's just, you know, we we do need to recognize that this is a difficult time period. 
And that's why I wanted us to, I was burdened to let God's word speak to us in this way. Uh, because let's just admit it, this has been a difficult year. Okay, 2020 has been a difficult year for our society, for you personally. People have lost their jobs. People have lost their health. Some people have lost their life. So counselors talk about the teabag principle. When you put teabag in an empty cup, tea stays in there, teabag's fine. It's when you put the hot water in that you really see what's in there. And what we're seeing in our society is actually what's on, going on in people's hearts. We're seeing is what's in your heart. This is good for you to see what's in your heart. It's good for the temperature to be turned up so I can see, wow, there was a lot in there that I don't like. I was very selfish. I was not trusting God. You, you may have lost your employment. You may have lost your health. So we could count our many stresses, name them one by one, and we could continue to count and count and count. But then we're, we're not realizing that I have so much more in Christ. It doesn't matter. What if I die? That's okay. That's my best, one of my best things to look forward to as a Christian. And so these pressures are so good for us. Um, and, and I do feel like, though, we have just allowed ourselves to group grumble. And I don't, we cannot get that way. We cannot get that way. What happened when they group grumbled about Moses? God killed them. That's his same heart toward ingratitude. Now, Jesus forgives us. He won't open up the, the, the ground and swallow us, right? But we need to come to the rock for forgiveness today and ask him for the cleansing for our ingratitude. And then our last, last point here, verse 13, consider God's escape plan. Verse 13 is so helpful. I would encourage all of us to memorize it. Uh, if you don't have it memorized, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. With that temptation, also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We just jump into there a little bit. Again, for time, we're having to fly through these. But remember other people. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Others have faced that same trial you're facing. No one's faced this. Yep. They faced it and more difficult. This is the value of church history. This is the value of church, being with brothers and sisters. This is the value of biographies, the value of the Israelites, uh, reading the Old Testament. Remember that others have faced this, and many fall, many fell, but many continued strong in faith, strong in gratitude, not with slipping, not with doubt. Remember other people. Remember the promise of God. Remember the promise of God. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted upon that what you are able. God is faithful. The problem is not with God. My circumstances came into my life through God's faithful hand. His filter of what he allows into my life is very, very tiny. Nothing gets in there that he did not allow. If it comes through his filter into my life circumstances, it's by his decree. It's not by accident. It's not that he forgot or didn't look for a few minutes. It came into my life. It came into our church's life. It came into our city's life. It came to our culture's life in such a way that God allowed it. 
He's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So if you have it, you can bear it by His grace. If you have it, you can go to this verse and say, Lord, I don't know why you've allowed this, but I can carry it by your grace if I'm on your back. And, and so, Lord, help me. Help me. This verse says God is faithful. Not Tim is faithful. God is faithful. We're not allowed you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So don't tempt him with your complaining. God is faithful. He can carry it. Lord, I don't know how to scale this mountain, but I trust you to move it. Request his provision, finally. With that temptation, he will make a way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. He will provide the escape route. Uh, We just know that the Dead Sea is there. I find the rock of Christ for forgiveness for all my ingratitude. And I turn to the deliverance of Christ for the future. I just say, Lord, there's a wall there. Egypt's back here. Their army. I have nowhere to go. But you brought me here. And I trust you. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to move forward. And the Lord provides the way of escape. And sometimes it is like that. It's like the water's parting. Sometimes I think as American Christians, we end up not being the one that returned to thank Jesus for healing. Not the nine who didn't thank. We're nine that come back and complain about our feet being sore from walking to the temple. It's like we're not coming back to Jesus to thank him. We're coming back to say, now look what happened. And I listened to you, you healed me, you forgave me, and now look, look what else is going on, look what else is going on. And Jesus is saying, manna every day, honey in the rock, my glorious presence, child. Instead of looking at the grass that's greener on the other side of the fence, recognizing this side of the fence has my shepherd. And if he's brought me here, I don't want that grass. I want to be right here where he has me. And so we escape to the cross. We remember his love uh, and all that we have to be thankful for that is so much more grounding than tangential things like job, health, uh, life, physical life. All of that is transitory. All of us will lose that. All of us will lose that. It's just a matter of time. So, so we need to find our joy and our rest in the things that are eternal. I mentioned this in our uh, weekly uh, post, and, and I'll just end with this, that let's get our, our eyes in thanking God for the things that matter most. Okay, so there's, there's always reasons to thank Jesus, to, to fill our hearts with thankfulness. Uh, reason one, others have it worse, and I'll just read these and we'll be done. Others have it worse, meaning others don't have Christ. That's what that means. Not that others more, make more money or others don't make it. No, that, that money is dirt. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, good quote. Uh, others have it worse because they don't have Christ. Reason two, God is always in control. If you don't have Christ, you don't know that. I can always be thankful because God is always in control. Reason three, you can cast your care on Christ because he's in control. Jesus is beside you walking. You can cast your care about all these things upon him and realize that he can bear it. Reason four, death is the start of your best life. Your best life is not now. It is a taste of heaven. 
Reason five, Christians have not lost their most important possessions. And I, I wish we could get into all of these illustrations, and this is what I love about biographies, but um, though, though everything be taken from you, if you have Christ, nothing is really lost. Reason six, my circumstances are not a measure of God's love. God still loves me in Christ. And reason seven, your salvation is nearer now than 2019. So 2020, a lot of things happened wrong. You still have Christ. You're a year closer to heaven. Right? So let's be thankful. Let's focus on thanks and really watch a spirit of ingratitude. We just slip into it. An agnostic, unbelieving world slips into it. And I slip into it. You know, this leader this, this leader that. Oh, all these things. No. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You're my leader. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's all do business with the Lord. We can respond to his word in the ways that he would like. Um, Maybe you're focused on a real difficult situation and And this is a hard message for you because you're like, ah, why did God allow that? I just want to encourage you to, in faith, thank him for it. In closing prayer, thank him for that most difficult part of your life right now. Like Jesus thanks for the cross, we thank him. Maybe you're not there yet. Could you pray for grace to thank him for it? Lord, I don't see the way out, but help me. Help me, Lord. Give me grace to have a heart of gratitude in closing prayer. And then start to thank him for all these things that we have in spite of the externals being gone. Be standing in the back. Be happy to pray with you. But let's all pray and respond to God's appeal to us uh, to be thankful. Let's pray.